Welcome back to another Impact Tonight and Impact Education's Leadership. This is episode 83. I'm your host, IEP for Isaac Jordan III. Tonight's panelists are Buddy Thornton and Dr. Bethany Hernandez Parks. Buddy Thornton, please say hello to the people once again. Good evening, and it is an honor to be here. And Dr. Bethany Hernandez Parks, please say hello to the people. Good evening. It is great to be here as well. Absolutely. Well, tonight's topic is one of much importance, and that is, what do parents need to know about school re-entry? In 2020, the world was devastated, and urban and rural communities alike, with the coronavirus disease, COVID-19 for short. Many concerns and worries arise because of this new normal with family and friends getting ill with COVID-19 and even dying in some cases. Parents, family members, school staff, and other trusted adults stepped up to the plate in reconstructing our communication and teaching infrastructure in a way to play an essential role in helping children make sense of what they were hearing on the news and to make their homes, communities, and cities informed and as safe as possible. Now, a new conversation has arised, has manifested, that is what parents need to know about school reentry in a way that is first honest, accurate, and minimizes much of the anxiety and fears that we have been experiencing in our communities and in our world. First, I want to pull from Buddy Thornton, the positive social change agent pro. Listen, sir, you know, you are really an expert in this field. But before we go into our questioning, please tell us a little bit about yourself and what you're doing currently, sir. Well, besides the uh, role I play with the Brokenness to Healing Foundation as the Chief Operations Officer, I spend time working with parents and mostly teenagers trying to navigate the stress-filled environment that COVID has created as a parent coach and as a life coach. And I work as a... uh, court mediator for family conflict and I write about things concerning families my question uh, for you because like I said you are an expert in the field of uh, family uh, social interactions and and, and also uh, just family uh, relationships and, and also just uh, coping mechanisms as it relates to, uh, you know, spirit-empowered parenting, I'll say that. And so with that being said, what do parents need to know about school reentry in a way that is, that is honest, right, uh, that is accurate, and a way that helps minimize uh, these anxieties and these fears? these anxieties and these fears? That's my question for you, sir. I appreciate the prompt, Isaiah. 
One of the most important things about the situation where school reentry is now upon us after 18 months of dealing with COVID-19, the most important thing that parents need to do is realize that they have been the primary conduit for their children for about a year and a half, and their children uh, are facing a very, very high level of stress not because they fear going back to school, but because they have an overwhelming sense of excitement about their being able to break out of their cages, their being able to return to what they hope is a normal environment. So the way I look at your question, what do parents need to know about school reentry, and presenting it in a way that is honest, accurate, minimizes anxiety or fear, well, <clears throat> the first thing parents have to do is they have to communicate with teachers and parents and teachers have to be fully aligned about one topic, the need to embrace the need for school to provide social-emotional development for students. That's the primary function at this point. Yes, educating children is important, but for 18 months, we've navigated that through uh, digital networks. We've nav navigated that with online presence, and we have adapted and adopted different strategies in different school environments to communicate with the kids and everyone across the board is in the same boat. They're behind the curve, but that's not as big a problem as the kids have lost that 18 months of connection in the social emotional area. The second thing that parents need to do is they need to understand the biology of their children. Anxiety and fear are normal human reactions to stress, especially things like the long-term emotional stress caused by a shared social event. A pandemic undoubtedly is the largest shared social event humanity can face. And children, not just students, but all children need to be allowed to voice their fears in a way that they believe they're being heard. They need to be able to voice their fears in a safe place where they know they're not going to be laughed at, they're not going to be shamed or judged for that fear, and they need to understand that that fear is a commonality across all of their peers, regardless of what their peers try to say or try to project. That fear is an underlying factor for every child and caregivers need to willingly support them emotionally and also not shut them down, not say, well, you know, you, you know, we need to minimize that, we need to look at other things. Until the fear is addressed, no learning is going to take place. So we need to get that front and center. Teachers, parents, all caregivers need to be on the same page. We need to get it front and center that their fear is perfectly okay. But how do we conquer fear? Irrational fear is fear of the unknown. Rational fear is knowing about something and understanding that you should have some level of fear about it, that you can navigate it, you can get through it. So the more we're honest about COVID-19, it has taken a lot of lives. But it's not as big a threat today because of the vaccines and because of the mitigating coping mechanisms that we've put in place that children should not allow that fear to manifest at such a level that they cannot return to some level of normalcy. And if they are told, look, if something creates a fearful moment for you, 
Accept that that is normal. Accept that's okay. Reach out. Let someone calm you down. Let someone get you back on track. And if we do that with all the children equally, then they are going to take our role and they're going to manifest it in themselves. They're going to approach everything from a much calmer position. See, I, I like the way you brought that into the equation. The fear, that, that fear and that honesty, how you uh, mix those both together. Because a lot of parents, that is what they're concerned about. They're concerned about, okay, you know, my child is a networker. My child is a connector. My child is a super connector. And so how are they going to freely network? How are they going to make friends now that... Because, I mean, just because we have a vaccine, we still have this uh, pandemic on our hands. We still have, even though we're opening up schools, even though we're re-entering into the workforce, you know, COVID-19 has not been cured. Um, it, it has not been done away with. So, you know, that it's still upon us. People are still dying. People are still contracting uh, this illness. People are still getting sick. And so now we have to put this in the mix along with uh, the the pivot to the digital uh, age with education so now we're not only measuring uh, education uh, with uh, digital platforms in the mix now but we're also measuring education balancing an illness that is upon us a virus that has been um, in our environment that we are now having to manage along with uh, digital technology. We have to join forces. We have to, there has to be teamwork. In order for us to be successful, for our children to be successful and, to, and for them to understand uh, and, and really rebrand their values and rebrand what is ethics now and re rebrand what is morals now, we have to have people like, you know, Buddy Thornton, the Positive Social Change Agent Pro, uh, uh, coming in and speaking to forums, right? And letting people know, you know, these are some of the toolkits that we need to help arm our children and, and our parents because our parents need to be armed too. They, they need to be armed with a certain mindset now. They have to be armed for whatever type of environment that they're going into. So I like the way you put all of those elements together and i believe that's a perfect transition to our next guest and i'm excited i'm so 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 excited about our next guest doctor and she's on the west coast as well dr bethany hernandez parks again tell the listening audience how you're doing and all the accomplishments that you are making so please tell us what you, what you got going on uh, hello i've been busy um <laughs> So it's great to be here tonight. A little bit about me is I have kind of focused my education work um, in child and adolescent development and most recently earned my doctorate in educational leadership with an emphasis in educational psychology. My career life, I've kind of spanned the gamut in roles um, in the child development and kind of early education field. Uh, and most recently, I've decided, and I'm sorry, excuse me, I've also uh, taught in college as well to future educators. And most recently, I decided trans to transition to uh, working as a consultant so I could work more one-on-one -on -one directly with service providers and just offer them support so that they can uh, 
provide the provide education in a really high quality way and um, hopefully bring more respect and more um, understanding of the hard work that early educators do. Early education is kind of my passion. All education across the gamut is important, but um, early education kind of grabbed my passion a long time ago and that's where I have um, focused my work most recently. Um, and then a little about me personally, I'm a mom of um, two kids and I'm married as well. So um, that's me. <laughs> And I'm glad to be here tonight. And we're so glad to have you here as well. You know, you are a mother, you are an educator, and so you you juggle a lot of different uh, jobs. And so you multitask all those. It's almost like being in the kitchen, right? And you're cooking a meal, cooking your family <laughs> yeah. meal. And it's like, I got to have the rice going in one pot. The next pot I may have whatever going type meat, right? And then I got some in the oven, roast beef. And so, yeah. you know, that's that's almost like your life, right? <laughs> and, and everything has to be cooked, you know, it has to be cooked to perfection because your your family loves your your food, right? And no, you know, it's yeah. nothing better than home cook um, a home cooked meal. You know, when you spoke. The first thing that hit my mind was was mentorship range, and with mentorship range, what I mean is, you know, there there's a pool of mentorship, and the more people in your support group, the further you can reach your goals, and and the more positivity uh, that is given to a person to help them reach their 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 goal because of the knowledge, because of you know, people looking at your blind side and people seeing, you know, your weak areas, your strengths, uh, your SWOT analysis, right? Your, your, your strengths, your weaknesses, opportunities, trans threats. They, you know, they see, they see all of that that you don't see. So you have to have a mentor. You have to have a consultant. You have to have an educational consultant somewhere, you know, around your campus, especially when you're dealing uh, with or managing uh, uh, school culture, right um executive mm -hmm. school leadership right and um you know and also your campus vision so you, you gotta have those people there so my question to you <clears throat> you know with that being said with that being said what concerns should the educators and administrators monitor because of the prolonged school closure and I guess we could say the home confinement, right? That could negatively affect children, uh, not only mentally, but physical, physically, and and their mental health. That's my question for you. So when I thought about this question, I really felt like the area that should really be targeted the most um, is educators really paying attention to children's mental health overall. Um, since these populations, our children and our adolescents are the most vulnerable right now um, with their mental health, I think that's one of the main things that is important to make sure that we support during this time. And that kind of piggyback, excuse me, off of um, Buddy's answer, being that social emotional uh, social emotional skills, learning, um, all of that is important to build up and support during this time. And I think 
as excited as um, a lot of people are to have schools open and opening up in some sort of hybrid fashion, or I say not at all, there's still just anxieties that the children are, are holding on to. And it is, it is the educators and administrators role to help support children through that process and to um, help them understand and feel comfortable being around peers and adults again, or adjust to the different safe safety protocols that are in place in their school environment or just express the anxiety around or the way that it's being um, implemented and feeling comfortable enough to perform academically. All of that is important, but really I think the mental health aspect is, is what's paramount. And I think how educators keep a pulse on that is really working on connecting with their students. They really have to make sure that they are in tune with how their students are feeling um, and how they're processing all of these changes. We've all lived through this extremely, uh, through this pandemic, there's just been so many changes. There continue to be so many changes. And unfortunately, it's not over. Um, we're still moving through it in different ways. Um, and even next school year, right, when all things open up, it, it'll be a whole new set of ways to process things. So I think as educators, it's just really important to put mental health as a paramount issue that really is the only thing that matters. Make that connection and find a way as the educator. And if you're not finding it, then reach out to your administrator and really find a way to connect with your student, whether that's checking in with them, having private conferences with them, uh, just offering lessons in various ways, which I know teachers are trying to figure this out too, but just figuring out what, what reaches that child. Is it, are they overwhelmed by the virtual aspect of learning? Okay, so is there anything to adapt and make more um, hands-on for them? Of that nature. I think that's really just the biggest part because you clearly can't teach a child or anyone for that matter if they're not emotionally invested. Um, they're not going to retain any of the lessons. So we have to make them feel safe. We have to show them that we're there for them as educators and as administrators. And then, and then we can go on to try to teach them and figure out where is their, their understanding of different um, academic skills at. Um, and then in terms of physically, when I thought about this part, I thought it was kind of a two-part question because physically, um, as educators, we're mandated reporters, right? So if there's any sort of, say, abuse that is happening, physical signs would be kind of a way that educators might be cued into that the child might need help. Um, there's a lot of virtual learning going on, and because of the virtual learning, you know, educators aren't necessarily always in front of their student, um, but still understanding as an educator and as an administrator that that's important to pay attention to, especially if the child comes into the classroom. If you have any concerns, reach out to your administrator to to get a support plan going and a um, documentation plan to make sure you can meet that need of that child if they're having some sort of um, issue with physical abuse at home. And then the other issue with uh, physical activity was the one that kind of came up for me because as students are more, um, have been for the past you know year and a half doing school online, um, 
they haven't been as physically active as they may have been in the past. We had, uh, you know, over here, I'm, like I said, I'm on the West Coast, so there is a point that, like, parks were closed, playgrounds were closed, beaches were closed, anything to really get outside was not available. So um, it was hard to get your physical activity in, and plus you just weren't sure something you should be doing. So just as educators and administrators, really working in the physical aspect of education, like get them moving, get them running, jumping <laughs> in any way that you can, or offering Zoom uh, classes for that as well. Um, just making sure that we're taking care of their physical body um, as well as their, their mental health, I think is important. You know, I really like the way you steered that question and, and, and unpacking that question, because it was a loaded question and I did that purposely. <laughs> So that I not feel to throw like you, it. <laughs> well, not to throw you off, but to help answer some questions because I'm, I'm hearing parents yeah. ask those type of questions. But the way you mm -hmm. handled it, right? I heard, I heard a lot of. I didn't hear a lot of sympathy. I heard a lot of empathy first, and and from mm -hmm. the empathy, I heard compassion, right? I heard compassion. Yeah. I heard confidence. I heard confidence, right? And I heard connection. And then in the schools, you know, we give them those tools, right? To civically, we give them those tools so they can then take it back to their community. And then it, I believe it's a healing process, right? It's a healing of what? A healing of character, right? It's a healing of uh, core values. What they see uh, is good, right? Because, you know, I talked about mentor. A mentorship range you know if, if 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 you have a now when i say mentorship range I'm, I'm let me let me say what i mean by that i'm gonna use the taxonomy of a a car uh, a fuel uh what, what is it called uh, when you put gas into your a fuel tank right so you know you got fuel tanks that are are, are small and you got fuel tanks that are are large right so if i if i am driving a car and it has a large fuel tank well, it, it takes more gas to fill that, right? So if we were to think of mentors of range as a fuel gauge, right? If, if the gauge is on a quarter of a tank, then that means I need three-fourths of a tank for it to be full. So, so if, if, if I have a mentor and, and this person gives me a lot, but they can only fill up a quarter of my tank, for, for what I've been placed on this earth ground to do, my destiny, right? They can only fill me up to a quarter of a tank. Well, then I need to find somebody. I need to connect. I need to network with someone else that's going to help me get another quarter of a tank, maybe, right? And so now I, I have a half a tank. And so now I may have to go off to high school or college or whatever. And it goes on and it goes on and it goes on, right? And so before... I can really go out and mentor the next generation. I have to be full so I can give them something, right? And so tonight you gave us, you gave us something. You gave us something to pass on. And what did you give us? You told us that as administrators, we have to be more observant. We're coming out of a pandemic where people's lives have been touched. Everyone I know is connected to someone who has been uh, affected by COVID-19. And so the trauma, the, the social emotional uh, learning aspect now has changed because 
It's basically like we've been through a war. I mean, we've been in a battle. Thank you so much, uh, Dr. Bethany Hernandez Parks, for your humility. Thank you so much. And let me let let me change the direction here to uh, Buddy Thorne, the Positive Social Change Agent Pro. Once again, sir, uh, thank you for being back on the podcast. You know, a, a lot of people have asked me. You know, I see why uh, you bring. Uh, Buddy Thornton on to the podcast, this man, you know, he's brilliant. Uh, the way he can, you know, take your questions and synthesize them uh, with, with his answer while giving uh, other things uh, that you can take and just chew on. Uh, you know, people go back and listen to these podcasts uh, later and they always find something. And so I want to really thank you again for all that you bring to this podcast. But my question for you uh, is, what are, what are some tools? What are some tools that you have, right, that parents can use, that, commi- that parent committees can use, and they can work together as a team, right, uh, to help bridge the needs of students, right, and help these students stay aware of some of the mental health challenges uh, you know, the old mental health challenges and these new ones that are now, uh, you know, some people would say manifesting or that they, we are now experiencing with our youth. That's my question for you. Uh, again, uh, thank you for the prompt. And I want to uh, skip back a little bit to what uh, Dr. Parks said about mandatory reporting. One of the most critical issues about any challenge in the school, be it behavioral or mental health, is teachers are required to protect their students and they're required to protect their students from each other. And so mandatory reporting is a very rigid uh, context that we have to navigate. Uh, Coaches are in the same ballpark, mediators, my other uh, work uh, line. We have mandatory reporting for a reason. We have to guard against abuse. We have to guard against uh, behavior that we know is even future targeted behavior. We have to understand where the line is drawn. And so when you ask what tools parents, committees can bring together to start bridging and supporting the needs of everyone, caregivers, educators, administrators, and students who are helping other students uh, cope with and stay aware of mental health challenges, the most important thing that we can do is understand what the limitations are of what we can do and what we can provide as uh, the mentors, the teachers, and the administrators, because the parents drive the domain. We don't always like to admit that, but it is an absolute truth. Parents are allowed to drive the domain because at the end of the day, we safeguard their children in the schools for a period of time but they are required to safeguard them 24-7. So I've been approached with this question by several people and several school districts here in Arizona, and here's the reality. The only way you can help students cope with the coming back from a COVID-19 type situation is to create some type of safe haven, a time and a place within the school structure, within their life structure, where they can seek answers or ask questions or provide information while, while remaining semi-autonomous or anonymous because they fear, again, uh, blaming, shaming, judging from others 
when they have fears or they have problems or they feel like they're not coping very well, because these are mental challenges, not just mental health challenges, but challenges all around. But we have had some positive aspects, some things that have popped out because of adapting to COVID-19. The school districts have not universally adopted the same platforms, but they all have expanded their use of digital platforms. And so when a parents' committee wants to provide a form of safe haven, one of the things they should consider across the board is a wellness drop box. Uh, somewhere where the kids can uh, go online, they can enter information, they can put it in a Dropbox that's only accessible by counselors and a select group of administrators and possibly if there's a school committee that includes a couple of uh, specifically uh, competent parents who can field and make decisions, make some type of environment where we can answer these questions in a way that we don't violate that mandatory reporting rule, but we are able to help the children help themselves and at the same time teach everyone who are the listed caregivers adapt to how do we answer these questions, how do we provide dignity and respect, how do we make sure that inclusion happens, how do we honor the cycle? There's an omnidirectional cycle. Leaders, mentors, teachers, parents, students, staff, school bus drivers. These are all people who have our hands on with these kids. And the kids have to know that if they have any type of a fear, that they should have a place where they can give information without fear of it coming back their direction and doing harm to them. The less harm they perceive in their actions, the more likely they are to take part in those actions. So the primary thing parents committees can do is ask, how can we establish this safe haven, be it a live situation or a digital situation where these kids who are very sophisticated in the digital domain, by the way, where they can actually drive this bus. They can actually give us the information. They can actually put us in a position where we can, you know, help them with their coping. And then, of course, the parents' committees need to develop a concerns coping template that focuses on uplifting but staying authentic, being honest, accepting the fact that there are going to be some things that are going to have to be solved and there's some things that are going to have to endure the process of mandatory reporting because at the end of the day, we can only do so much. We have a digital toolbox that has been enhanced in incredible ways across a lot of different school districts. But as an artifact of the COVID pivot, we need to now use those tools to our advantage. And we need to let the children who are really the digital pioneers in our world, let them show us what they can give us. Let, and we need to adapt to their world as much as we ever need to ask them to adapt to ours. So uh, to me, that's what the parent committees need to do. They need to accept that this is the children's world. We need to give it to them in a positive way. You know what? <laughs> that's why we call you Buddy Thornton, the positive social change agent pro, social change agent pro. 
you know, you talked about something that <clears throat> I'm beyond switching. We really need it moving forward. We need a wellness box. We need to establish a wellness box. And what should go into this wellness box? Whether it's surveys, Likert scales, you name it. Every school needs to have this wellness box installed somewhere in like the main office, the nurse's office, wherever. So I'm gonna challenge you to put this together, right? But you know, another thing I heard <clears throat> from you is, you know, we need to give school leaders a chance and we need to give them, a, we need to give them time. I, and I heard this from you and Dr. Parks. We need to give them time to be successful. We, we need to give them time to succeed. I mean, come on, we just, you know, this all just happened. This, you know, we're about to re-enter into the new uh, school year, right? And at full capacity in, you know, some states, I don't know about all. So we need to give, we need to give our educators time to succeed, right? And then we need to consider for, for, for those people that are out there that are nonprofits listening to this or, uh, you know, stakeholders or, you know, business owners in the communities, right? We need to consider joining some appropriate organizations that's going to help, that's going to help these administrators, these principals, these school leaders, these teachers, these students, these parents succeed, right? We, we, we need to do that because, you know, this is not just their race, but this is the human race. This is the future of the human race that we're, that we're talking about, right? And so, you know, I believe from listening to what, you know, Buddy Thornton said and Dr. Parks, Bethany Hernandez Parks said, you know, we need to make a list of supporters. And we need to check that list. You know, and, and, and we need to hold them accountable, but we need to also welcome their suggestions, their ideas, and we need to make them responsible and accountable for those ideas and suggestions that they are making. Because, come on, let's face it, this is going to take teamwork. By the way, I'm getting excited. I'm getting excited because I threw some questions at you that, you know, I knew it was going to be difficult for you to answer, but I, I couldn't tell the way you just, you know, maneuvered through those those questions. I just have to give you much respect, sir. <laughs> but let me move to, uh, uh, you know, our next panelist here. Let me bring, let me let me pull back on uh, Dr. Bethany Hernandez Parks again. Uh, you know, Dr. Parks. You know, what that being said. Uh, this conversation is so good. It is just so good. But with that being said, you know, what's your experience um, being in different school settings on different campuses, you know, um, understanding different, you know, missions of different schools with their vision, right? Can you foresee um, and, and working with government governmental agencies as well yeah because we got to bring that into the equation so with that being said i digress with that being said can you foresee the the, the government 
mobilizing mobilizing existing resources uh, that they have you know established to help create a platform for gathering the best online courses because there are so many online courses going on right now I don't, I'm not going to start mentioning them uh, mentioning them but there but we all know that there's there's a plethora of online educational courses that different school districts are choosing to use right especially now uh, that we have pivoted to the digital age. But, you know, but what are, I guess, you know, the best online educational courses, what, what are the, the, the healthier ones, right, for like a healthy lifestyle, psycho, social uh, support, uh, affiliated, uh, alignment, uh, programs that are available for schools to choose from that will help um, support mental health. You know, those, um, well, basically that support system. And, and, and just, you know, what you've been researching, what you've been using, what are some of the programs um, that you recommend? I think it's like you said, there's definitely the technology is there, um, and that's what's about now in terms of being able to have programs reach a broad range of uh, educators and administrators, and they can do it from their home. Um, what is a little bit hard is that there are so many, um, and as a teacher as a district, you can kind of get lost or overwhelmed sometimes um, based upon you know, who's offering what. Um, so I think, I don't know that, say, our government, our, our larger government, would ever come through with creating some sort of platform saying, hey, these are some great resources. And also considering our government has different factions, like their federal government and then even, you know, state and local governments and everything for COVID in general has been handled so differently, um, you know, depending on where you live. So I think that's, that's a challenge. Um, so in terms of some of the programs that have been offered, I will say that I, um, not to self-plug, but that is part of what I'm working on as delivering in, in some of my consulting is, is really speaking to what, like the different COVID procedures are and, and what how to educate parents how to bring the parents into the program um, for the for the students I think one of the biggest challenges right now with this this type of education that we're dealing with with the virtual aspect is the fact that parents are so removed from the education in so many ways um, and even trying to go back into a physical in-person schooling option uh, parents aren't allowed on campuses um, and the parents are trying to manage their own life, being that they're still working from home and things like that. So um, being that there are so many options, I think as an educator, you should definitely sift through in terms of making sure that the program, depending on what the needs are, because I guess that's the other part that I'm thinking of, depending on what your needs are as a school, that should speak to either probably mental health training for your educators, uh, for themselves and then how to speak to the mental health of, of students. Um, and then another issue would be how to 
navigate and continue to navigate in a virtual world um, your your education options because I don't even though we're still in the process of opening up again I don't know that the digital option in education will completely disappear once schools open up so giving teachers technology tools so that they are um, more well-versed and feel more confident in their instruction I think will be really important so depending on where school is or what um, is offered to you what you can afford um, is, is really important I do think working with someone such as a consultant or working with a uh, a company that has kind of a reputable um, resume in a way and it speaks to some of the boxes that need to be checked for your specific school is, is a good idea uh, that will help to make sure that whatever is used will, will meet the needs of the specific population but I don't think unfortunately government will offer these um, for everyone to choose from because a it's just it's happening now so being that that being said it, it's just not available yet and the way COVID has been handled has been handled so differently in so many different areas that I don't know that it would make sense for everyone the same way depending on the region you're in um, and that really might just be only speaking to mental health um, and not at all to say understanding and supporting physical health of the students and of the teachers um, because that hasn't really been a big push this whole time when talking about the country and how to how to support everyone um, we've, we've heard mental health as a buzzword here and there right but physic, physical health and maintaining a active lifestyle and eating healthy those aren't necessarily things that are talked about regularly I think it should be but it's not something that's and kind of widely addressed. You know, tonight's topic was, you know, what do parents need to know about school re-entry, right? What do parents need to know about school re-entry? In a way that is honest, in a way that's accurate, and in a way that minimizes anxiety and fear. What were the takeaways from the night? Who wants to go first? I think that probably the number one thing is that we've had a year and a half where there's been a lot of divisive things said by different political pundits and the expertise of the people who should really be helping define how we get through COVID have been sidelined. Uh, and when you when you look at parents who have to look at that, try to navigate that, and how difficult they have a time doing that, and then you expand that to their children who, in a lot of cases, don't have the experience or the filtering mechanisms to understand what's going on, everyone got pretty much left out on a limb and a very very small limb at that. So the biggest takeaway for me is that we have to reestablish a bi-directional trust between the experts and the people who run the schools, the education systems, the school boards, and the parents and the kids. And any coping mechanism, regardless of who designs it, regardless of how it's implemented eventually, it must attack resiliency. 
These kids have been torn asunder, is the best way I can put it. Some of them have come through relatively unscathed, but the majority of them still don't have any idea how their life is just going to pick back up. And so we have to focus on creating coping mechanisms that enlarge resiliency and stop the pre-COVID factors, which were always in place, always up on the mantle, that is avoidance or over-controlling. Because at the end of the day, we want them to be resilient. And if we're going to let them be resilient, we need to listen to them and see if what we're doing is working for them, not necessarily just for us. Dr. Hernandez, you're next. Oh, yes, sorry. Um, I completely agreed with that answer. I thought it was really thorough, um, actually, buddy. And I just want to piggyback and say that I think what needs to happen and continue to happen is have voices like ours be be the voices. And as hard as it is to continue to show up and stand up and talk about it, um, continue to do so because I think the experts in the field um, should feel like experts and they, they should be there to help speak up for the educators and also speak up for the needs of the children and in, as Buddy was saying, ultimately it comes down to what's working for for these children. Um, as educators, we're there to educate them, but we're, we're serving them, right? We want them to feel successful. We want them to learn. Um, so really focusing on our efforts on making sure that they are able to do so with our guidance and with our help. And I think those who have an, an educational leadership mindset and have an understanding of children and their development and also the education world just need to continue to try to help everyone navigate this trying and confusing time. Um, it, there's no right answer um, and like we were talking about that it's not over and we're going to keep keep going through this so these students are going to continue to need our voices these parents are going to continue to need our help and the educators are going to continue to um, need support as well and I think something that's beautiful that's come out of this hard time is the fact that educators um, are being seen very differently and I just want to keep up that momentum because as an educator, you are so important to the lives of your student, but also to our community and our country, <laughs> you know, overall. They are definitely essential, and everyone in education should be made to feel that way. Um, and we should tap on that expertise as well to make sure that what is being provided does speak to the needs of the students and it's not a top-down, you know, top-down ideas that are just coming from um, from people who may not necessarily have a skin in the game. Tonight was a night of, I would say, credibility. Tonight was a night of rebranding. Tonight was another impactful night of impact education leadership. 